in weeks now me neither we literally had a call like two days ago i like tuned that out that doesn't count whoa whoa i wasn't there (laughs) yeah we recorded our new podcast okay so that's how it's gonna go all right i'll start another one since we haven't been invited to ruby for all we started one called ruby for some jason you've been on sabbatical for half of the podcast so far so (laughs) bruh and i still showed up to like two remote rubies because you're the champion. Yeah, you're, Welcome back. You're bad taking a sabbatical. Oh, I'm the worst. The bad. first two weeks, I was like, this is going to be so great. And then I was like, I got to get to a computer. I was like, <laughs> itching for it. You're done now. You're back. We can't get rid of you now. Nope. And I will never let you go ever again. That was way too long. I was so freaking bored at some points when I had really dumb shit to say. And I didn't feel like bothering anyone <laughs> else on the team. And that's when I would have bothered you. See, that's why I stick around Podia. Not for like the job security or the fact that I like enjoy the work or like have a great team. It's just so I can be there for you, Andrew. So you can get my really weird memes in the morning. I feel so bad because like I feel like every time you want to send me something funny, you have to then explain it to me. I don't care. <laughs> the thing is, is because I find it funny, it doesn't matter how long it takes me to get you to understand why I think it's funny. I will spend that time. <laughs> I'm glad to invest the time. You had a banger meme today about getting emails from a certain company with on your yeah, headstone. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, we'll go do that. It says Jason Charns, 1989 to 2022, died doing what he hated, getting Stripe emails on a tombstone. And dude, stellar work <laughs> on your return. Fantastic. I'm so happy. The meme culture is dying. No, not at Podia. Cool. All so, right. Well, so you yeah, died this morning. Now you're back. Let's go. Tell us what you did. On my sabbatical? Yeah, you said you had things to tell us. Resurrection. I mean, all of it, I guess. Oh, I have things to talk about, like, from work. Oh. Like, programming. Work? For once, I have come to this remote Ruby podcast with programming topics to talk well, about. Well, let's talk about programming, then let's do let's it. Let's hear it. Oh, you just want to dig in? Heck yeah. Chris and I have been yeah. digging in without you. Yeah. We're ready to feast with you again, brother. All right. Tip tap. Yes. The editor. Let's talk about what tip tap is. Okay. And let's go down. Does tip tap ever make you think of happy Gilmore? It does now. (laughs) What it actually will permanently now in the movie, big daddy. There's a scene. I think it's like Rob Schneider. He's like hip, hip hop, hip hop anonymous. And I keep thinking tip, tip tap, tip tap anonymous. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Big I Daddy have, was a I, movie no, I, in the okay, 90s. But I have seen Happy Gilmore. I just want that to be known. Have you seen Big Daddy? No. Do you even know who's in it? I mean, it's you. Yikes. Think- okay. So <laughs> it's another Adam Sandler banger. Oh, uh, okay. That's this why I haven't when- seen it. I don't want to drop anything controversial, but I don't really watch Adam Sandler movies. After yes. Click. Oh my God, after, it made me cry. After the movie Click, I drove to Walmart at 1130 at night and bought the best of the cranberries on CD. Yeah. Well, then after Billy Madison, whichever one he plays a child in or whatever, I wanted to throw the TV out the window. I've never watched anything after that. You watched Click? Well, that was before. Mm. I watched it before. Oh, okay. It was like, no, it yeah. didn't come out before. <laughs> Yikes. We got a you would have been too. history lesson. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So tip tap. Yes. <laughs> tip tap 
is a text editor for the web, a content editor, much like Tricks. Tricks it tap. is Tricks tap. It is built on top of another library called Prose Mirror, which a lot of successful companies have built their own editing experience. Think like newspapers, publications, things like that. So it is unlike Tricks. It is headless. There are no styles. There's some very, very basic ones, but like you build the whole editing experience. If you want to have a toolbar with bold and italics and stuff, it gives you the API to do that, but not the interface. It's web component-esque in that nature. In that nature, yes. It is what we are exploring to replace tricks because as the commercial said, tricks are for kids and we've grown up. So we are trying to use TipTap to rebuild our editor at Podia. So if you're editing a product and have a text section, if you're sending an email, we want you to have the finest experience possible. Everyone with me so far? Yes. Okay. So there is another side of this, which is the server. And so when you take this HTML, you have to store it somewhere in our case. Historically, we have stored literal HTML and we will sanitize it, but we want to build some more features into our editor, some things that require associations to other records in the database. And so, for instance, like if we wanted you to link to, say, a product, we don't want to hard code that product name, for example, in that HTML because you might change it. So I know Chris has done something like this with action text uh, in terms of like building are they called attachments in active text? Yeah. Action text. Or like in the Twitter context, they just don't let you edit things. So that's another alternative option that I can edit that I would now. highly recommend. Hey, I can edit things. Thanks, yeah. Elon. Thank well, you, Daddy. Luckily for us, Twitter's not a very controversial topic right now and might not exist according to people by the time this airs. RIP. Shout out Reddit. Is that where going you're going to go? MySpace? That's where I, I spend like more than two hours a week on Reddit. I spend two hours on Twitter. I really struggle to use Mastodon. I don't like it. It's not bad or anything. I just literally can't. I've been on Twitter since 2009, dude. I literally can't be bothered. There doesn't seem like an easy interface to interact with other instances and stuff. Sam Stevenson posted his, but I was like, I can't even click on his link. It won't even load. I don't know how to go follow him from Ruby Social and whatever. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll try and follow him later. That's unfortunate for it's me tough. because I signed up. Not Ruby Social didn't exist yet when I signed up. So mine's on another one. But literally everyone I want to follow is on Ruby Social. So let's just bring back web mentions, y'all. That's what I'm trying to do right now. Okay. So tip tap, tip tap the database. Active action, action text. I get my active and action mixed up still to this day. So I've worked with action text before and I like a lot of it. But there is, at least in my experience, I found adding the support for things that weren't like out of the box tricks difficult to do. And again, like I know Chris has done screencasts and talks on how to do this, but I thought, okay, why don't we try doing this action text type thing ourselves? Because what we actually want to do, something that's important to mention is tip tap will give you a JSON representation of the content. So it's basically one big tree of nodes starting at the top is a document and you traverse down and you can have a heading and it has all these like text nodes inside of it with 
air quotes marks where marks would be like bold strike through italic and you could have multiple of those well something we are really good at at podia is storing json in the database because we use postgres we use json b so what i'm exploring right now and this could change but is taking this json content and storing it in a like rich text record so we have a separate table that functions like action text or active storage where you can declare i have this rich text called this. And that's actually been really straightforward to set up. But what's gotten really interesting is then taking that and trying to render it in the HTML. And that has been a journey. It's just interesting to point out, like, effectively, it's the JSON format of what Action Text does, which is just, here's the HTML that you see. So we'll just save that because we can use Nokugiri to parse it the same way and produce... Right a tree of nodes just like you would have in JSON, but it's just using HTML instead of JSON as the format, which is really interesting. It is. And I think it's probably easier to traverse the JSON stuff because you can treat it like a hash as opposed to its tree and things aren't named or whatever the same in, in trying to do that. You can use, of course, like CSS selectors and whatever else to try and find nodes in a right. HTML document, but it's not as familiar or whatever. Exactly. So I looked into action text, like in their internals, because my first thought was, okay, I have this tree of nodes, essentially. And you're right. What is nice is they all have a type. And so there is no ambiguity. It's like type paragraph. Okay. I could build even some kind of structure to map that to like a P tag. But the first thing I thought about is Nokugiri is a good thing, like a good thing you mentioned, because I was like, I wonder if I could build a Nokugiri-like structure. And that did not go very far. Nokugiri is very good at parsing HTML and building a tree. I found it incredibly painful to try and generate that tree myself, especially from my own JSON. Because it's, it's complicated as a mofo to use. <laughs> Takes a while. Yeah. I've been trying to use Nogo Gary too recently. It's a lot of brain power is going into that. So you just sent in the chat a JSON to HTML converter. I should mention TipTap will actually like let you send HTML, but there's something about the idea of storing this as JSON that gives us control. Yeah, like I like I re- that a lot. I like the idea that if we need to like make a structural change to it. If it's represented as JSON in the database, we can actually like go in and do like mass update all on a specific key nested in there if we need to make some kind of structural change. I really like that flexibility. I do too. No, I like the idea that I like the direction you're going. Jamie and I have been, our CTO have been going back and forth on this. So that was my first attempt was, okay, because if I could get it to Nokugiri, I could be like two HTML, like two string and be done. But after trying to figure out the difference between an XML node and an HTML node, and even then they have HTML4 and HTML5, but you call HTML5, it's like, well, actually, this is really just HTML4 still. I said, no, not today, Satan. Triggered. Triggered. So the next thing I did is I said, okay, what if I built Ruby objects to represent each type of node? Right? Okay. So I started down that path and I thought each one could know like what its HTML tag is. And then essentially I could just be like content tag, node.html tag, pass any values. And so I, on the page I had an H1, an H2, a paragraph, and a small. And I got that rendering matching 
what the editor outputs in terms of HTML and then what we output one-to-one mapping. And I was like, this is the direction. It's perfect. Until I started doing like bold and emphasis italics, because then what happens is at the bottom level, you have a text node. So like maybe I have a paragraph tag and it says hello, remote Ruby, but only that middle word is bold and italic. So I have three text nodes. I have hello as a text node, remote as a text node, and Ruby as a text node, where the middle node has these marks. And so then you have to like recursively traverse the marks and generate a B tag, generate an emphasis tag, and then render the value. So that basically broke my entire like concept up to this point, because I had like basically generated this very flat structure of children. Any thoughts, any questions so far? Because I still got more. It's a tree. That's the complicated part about it, right? Because you can have nodes within nodes and they belong to other nodes. So yeah, I, yeah, and then, I, yeah it's definitely complicated. Yeah, and, and the you're rules like, are weird. Because you can have nodes within nodes within nodes that like encompass other nodes. And it's like, how low can you go? Yeah, because you got to like, this node has those three children and then we need to concatenate each one of these. But each time we go to one of those, we need to check if it has children and operate on those and go back up the stack and do the recursion. Your your favorite thing, right? Yes. I feel like you might gain some inspiration from reading like the flex code base. I was going to say, you could kind of doing something like that. You could just read the source code to like Chromium. Just go straight for it, right? While you're there, you might as learn how CSS is implemented and the renderer. You might be ending up building your own browser here in a few minutes. It's very slippery slope. I built one in Visual Basic in high school. It's not that hard to build a browser. I'm just saying. You can do JSON OS. I could. Could. At that point, I might as well just build my own self-driving car. Hey, man. Might as well. While you're working at Twitter, so. Oh, Lord. Okay, so... Flex is interesting. And before I get into that, so part of the reason this thing started to kind of fall apart was I needed to be able to keep nesting these things, but sometimes I needed to put two elements like next to each other. And I was using this content tag without a view context. So it had no output buffer. So I couldn't like catenate two things next to each other. So that's when Jamie mentioned, what if we tried to like incorporate flex somehow to do this? And so the idea is like we have these nodes, but then we use flex for the actual like rendering. So I got that to work, including doing like nested things like that until my nesting didn't go far enough because I added a bullet list and you can do P tags inside a bullet list and then marks and styling. So that's when I had to zoom out and I said, all right, basically at this point, Joel put up a thing. He just released a markdown option for flex, like a markdown renderer. So I actually took that and just replaced it where it traverses the tree and like visits each child all the way down. And then it knows what tag to render based off like a case statement. And I've got that working one-to-one with the HTML generated for all these elements I've mentioned match what's rendered from tip tap when you're actually editing. But we didn't stop there. When I started doing this, I thought this is a syntax tree and who is really really good at syntax trees. Our friend Kevin. So Kevin, sweet angel, up on a call with me today. And we were close. We were close. But he suggested instead of the way I basically have a case statement for this flex stuff, what if 
there was a visitor, and this is what they use in syntax tree. I'm not going to do it justice, but basically like you have this visitor and you can have one for HTML and then we could have one for like HTML emails, things, you know, different worlds we need to render in. And then they basically recursively traverse the tree and you have for each node, it knows how to render in that context. And he showed me this stuff. He was like, you can use content tag. You could just generate the strings with like H1, P, but he also suggested using pretty print. And this is where like my mind just got blown because he's like, with pretty print, you can actually set like indentation and new lines and restrict it to like, if this line won't fit in 80 characters, take it to a new line. He's like, so if the format of the code is important, use pretty print. And we got off that call and I've just been like massaging my head until this call. I think I saw someone doing that actually recently. Before we move forward, what did you say could be, you said like it could be bold or whatever. Did you say OL or the LI? Either, uh, of the LI, of the LI. Okay, I was about to say, because there are only three allowed permitted contents under a UL or an OL, which is list, script, and template. I was like, so if that's, okay, okay, now I'm, yeah. I'm back on track. It's tricky because actually with TipTap, this is actually a prose mirror. It goes one step further under. By default right now, when I start a new list, it puts a P tag inside that list item, which isn't ideal for me. But most of the articles I've found are people trying to get out of it. They found ways to wrap it in spans, but then it breaks the functionality for nesting further in the list. I would almost rather support P tags, even though it's going to require some like styling gymnastics to support nested lists instead of the alternative. Well, I mean, technically it's, I mean, it's kind of obsolete, but a div or is it a dir? It's div or dir is like a valid parent to a list element. So like, it's possible that you could do a little munging in there. Yeah, there's opportunities for all that stuff. And I still have so much other work to do. I eventually was like, I've lost four hours trying to strip a P tag out. I should bail on this right now. The P tag is nice like though. a lot of fun. It actually is. It's a different kind of challenge. So trying to build it in such a way that like when the MVP of this is done, someone else could take this and use it in Podia, but not have to render a react component like abstract it like we do like with our uploader where you can be like form dot tip tap and run with it that way yeah i think it's kind of a fun project because it's very challenging there's a lot of infinite kind of html formatting that you can end up supporting but it's also like concise enough that it ends up being a very little concise technical challenge that you can like get it to a complete state at some point and it'll be done or whatever, like done enough. And I think that is a nice little project that just kind of ends up being that way where you can be like, hey, let's go have all these different test cases and make sure the output looks correct and whatever. And it's a fun challenge. And it's not like you're doing all this full stack development on it. You're just like, here's some Ruby processing some strings. And that's it. And it turns out to be like pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. There are some challenges because like I am doing a lot of React work too, like building out the interface. So like they have a support for what they call a bubble menu. So when you select some text, that's when like the options for silence stuff come up. And that's where we're building in the link functionality. So I'm having to do some things around, okay, when you click the link, we need to like hide this bubble menu, but we actually still need to be inside of it. It still needs to show. And so those are some of the like front end things. They're not necessarily hard to do, but they're hard to do well. 
it's a fun balance. I am enjoying the Ruby side of it. I've never built a syntax tree before. I've never built a renderer. And so, yeah, I'm unsure if we'll still use flex. Again, this is all still pretty experimental, but it's a lot of fun. And I just, I had to tell somebody. I'm jealous about my journey. You told jealous. everybody. Everybody knows now. I just want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Honey Badger. They are not only my favorite error and uptime monitoring service, but they've also added several awesome new features. One of those being the public status pages. So it makes perfect sense that your error and uptime monitoring tool can have a public status page for you to communicate any downtime outages with your customers. So whether US East 1 is down or you forgot to add a configuration file, Honey Badger is there for you to help communicate any downtime or outages with your customers. Plus, they've also added SSL certificate monitoring. So like many of us use these days, Let's Encrypt certificates expire every 90 days. And if for some reason you're a week away from expiring an SSL certificate, they can let you know ahead of time so that you can take care of it without any outages for your customers. Plus, managing the errors and things inside of Honey Badger has gotten even easier with Honey Badger Actions which you can use to automatically assign errors to yourself or another team member, add tags to different error classes and more. And they also have batch actions, which you can use on the search results to help manage your backlog of work to do. So Honey Badger is the place to check out for error and uptime monitoring, and it's only getting better. So check them out at honeybadger.io. It reminds me of I don't remember which class it was exactly in school, but I feel like it was the one where we were writing Haskell or something. But we had at one point a project to like, here's a programming language and build your own parser and stuff. It was awesome. It was so much fun. Never really needed it since then, but it's like really interesting to see how that stuff works. And then you like have a lot more appreciation for the Ruby interpreter and C compilers and whatever else. And you may not actually need to write your own, but you will be able to conceptualize it when something goes wrong and it's like syntax error. You can kind of imagine what it's doing and how it figured out there was a syntax error. And maybe that's useful in helping you to debug or whatever. But I always found those types of projects a lot of fun just to give me context of here's this other thing I've never even tried to build, but now I kind of understand at least the intentions are what it's supposed to do behind the scenes. I wish yeah. I had gotten to do cool stuff like that in college, but dude, if you need some binary math done, just hit me up. I got you. All right. At first, when I was building this, I was thinking back and I was like, I'm going to need to build some type of like linked list so that like these nodes know where their children are and things like that. And then eventually I found a way to not have to do that, but I was close. And that's the first time. 10 years I'd ever considered actually building a linked list. Yeah, I can still see the page on my textbook of the linked list and like me just truly not understanding it. <laughs> I guess technically it wouldn't have been a linked list. It would have been some type of binary tree. Dude, everything's but... a tree. Oh my God. How did I know this is going to wind up at trees, dude? I can do tree math too. That doesn't help me at all. Is that like where you try to figure out how much tree or water needs to grow to a certain size? No, instead of using sorting algorithms that everyone's known for years, they tell you to re-implement it using math. And then you just do math on trees, on paper. And that's computer science in America. Let's go. Anyway, that's what I got. (laughs) 
Oh, I missed you so much. I missed you so much, Jason. <laughs> it's fun. And hopefully next week I'll have something of interest. I look forward I, to, what was it? Was it in Chromium that has some exception inside of the source code there to like deal with some weird situation with tricks? You remember seeing that? I know like Javon posted it. No. It was like, I guess we're famous now or whatever. There's this edge case built into the browser now to deal with it and make tricks work the way it probably should have, but just a browser issue. <laughs> it was like, so it's official when you're big time that the browsers are like, hey, we got to fix Jason's Podia editor. <laughs> <laughs> TipTap's cool. We've gotten by with tricks for years, but we want to build some more advanced features. And there are much better libraries suited for those edge cases or those not even edge cases, just those business cases. Yeah, I think tricks kind of, you know, development on it kind of stalled out years ago. Because I don't know that it's really... I mean, Tricks 2.0 just came out this past week, actually. But it's like converting it from CoffeeScript to JavaScript now. Or TypeScript or whatever. Is it still in CoffeeScript? No, it's not. And there was like a couple bug fixes or something. But it's like not had any releases for a long time and whatever. So it's the interface to build your buttons, build the actions and all of that stuff never really got done. That's the nice part about pros mirror. Like you have all those tools because that's what it is. And they go from bottom up with that and say, here's your low level tools, go build your editor, however you want. And tricks was like, here's a complete editor, but here's how we implemented our features. But there's not been a lot of documentation to build your own and whatever else. People have made table stuff in it, but you got to go figure that out yourself. And it's not documented, not like an organized pattern for any of that stuff yet. Maybe someday, but we'll see. Table support is actually what drove me away from action text in a side project a couple of years ago. That's the first yeah. time Andrew and I ever paired was I was ripping out tricks and action text in favor of Redactor, which is a paid WYSIWYG. I remember that very well. Yeah, I there's was so happy to be in the presence of Jason Charns. He was letting me program with him. One of the weird things. One of the weird things about action text being in the HTML format when it gets saved was we have an upcoming GoRails episode or whatever, I'm pretty sure. That you know, it runs through the HTML sanitizer and Rails, but the HTML sanitizer is like very generic where if you want to say attribute is allowed, it like allows it on every single tag. There's no actual way to say hrefs are allowed only on anchor tags or whatever. So you got to like build your own scrubber and to like support those things. And we want to allow tables and TRs and THs and TDs and T head and T body. And that's a lot of stuff. You got to go allow all those things, allow the attributes for them. Sometimes you're going to want only those attributes on certain things and tables especially are a good example of you need to be able to insert a table, but then that object needs those like bubble actions to be adding a row, adding a column, adding a header row, a regular row. There's a lot to it. And most all the generic operations in a rich text editor are like, Take this word or highlighted text and bold it, italic, whatever, make it a heading or not. And it's not like 
complicated interactions on pieces of it, like a table is, because it has a lot of operations. The rest are kind of like, hey, take the selected stuff, wrap it in this tag, you're done. And that's cool, but there is a lot more complexity to editing things. And then like embedding database records and the security on that and making sure you're using signed global IDs so the server verifies that you did not tamper with this and Jason's not embedding somebody else's paid course lesson because they like manually did some client side stuff and was able to pull the ID from somebody else's thing. It is not a simple project to build this stuff, but I think a lot of fun just to think about those things. The file support is actually pretty interesting. And I can talk a little bit about that because part of it is like you need to be able to upload images, right? Well, what do we use for images? Active storage. So I built this mechanism where like it uses the standard direct upload functionality. Like I have a direct upload class in JavaScript. And then what I do, I can define a custom type in TipTap. So I have this like file type. And so what I do is I define an attribute and it's the signed ID for it. So what happens is when Rails is done uploading, I store that signed ID for the image in the attribute. So the JSON actually has the signed ID in the node server side. And then whenever you assign this body of JSON, I parse it and I have many attached files and I get only the file nodes I extract their signed IDs as an array and I say self.files equals this array of signed IDs. And then Rails Active Storage automatically just creates attachments and makes sure the blob records are uh, connected. There's a lot of moving parts, but there wasn't a lot of actual work to get all that functionality. And that was really cool. Yeah. A while back, I was talking to somebody, Casper probably, about, say you have a blog post with an author or something and you like, in Ruby, you can assign the author ID. I was wanting to add, when you have like a belongs to that's polymorphic, add a user SGID equals method. And you could then give it that and it would pull out the type and the ID. So you're like client side, you would just submit user SGID as your param. And then Rails could just parse it out and then submit your polymorphic record that way, which I thought would be cool. Instead of right now, I don't think it's got its own assignment for SGIDs for polymorphic stuff like that. But if it did, then you could more seamlessly have your front end select box choose between teachers, instructors, users, guests, or whatever different models. And you could have one select box that could assign an SGID and magically assign a polymorphic association. There's a lot of I feel like low-hanging fruit with some of that that would really make more complex form stuff a lot easier that I would love to see. Maybe one day I'll have some more time and work on some of that stuff. But SGIDs, I think, are undervalued. And there's a lot of cool stuff that that can be done with them. When we were doing a lot of stimulus reflex, we had a problem because at the time we weren't using database-backed sessions. We were using cookie sessions. We've since switched but that meant we had to pass IDs around. And to your point earlier, we didn't want someone to go grab someone else's ID and just hijack the DOM. So we did a lot of passing signed global IDs around, which it has worked so far really well for us. But it was kind of cumbersome because you have these huge strings that represent an ID that you're throwing around. Yeah, unfortunately, Stripe 
with their pricing table and checkout sessions, they have a client reference ID that you can pass, which is perfect for an SGID. So you could give it any model and record and then, you know, associate the subscription or charge with them afterwards. But you reminded me of that. Like the cumbersomeness is something that like even Stripe doesn't handle well, where the you don't allowed, the allowed character types don't include equals. And my first test was like, I'll generate an SGID. It happens to be a base 64 that doesn't have the equals at the end. So it like worked. But then the second you try it with another ID and it has the equals for padding, it doesn't work. And I was like, oh my gosh. The other problem with it too was like, you could just use a regular global ID that's not signed. Only if that checkout session is created server side, which it isn't if you were using like the pricing table, because that is just some JavaScript you embed and you add the attribute there. There's a reasonable argument to say, like, I wouldn't put somebody else's idea in there because if I pay for this thing, then they're going to get the subscription assigned to their account and I will have paid for somebody else that I don't know. So, like, it's a weird one to try to abuse, but it was also something where I was like, I'm just much rather do it signed and secure by having the server sign this thing instead. And even that too, I don't think they supported colons or slashes or whatever. So like your global idea format wouldn't work either. But there's something cool about it. It's just a nice way to take the two values you need, the class name and the ID, combine them into one thing and pass that around and treat it as one item most of the time. But they're super long. (laughs) It is a wonderful abstraction though. I don't remember when it came out, but I was like, oh yeah, this is freaking cool. And then I don't know why I would use it. And then I saw it in action text and I was like, oh, like this is a good use case. And now I've started to see a lot more reasons for it, you know, or places to use it. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought it was cool when I first saw it. I just didn't have a lot of good use cases that came to mind immediately. Yeah. It's also cool. They have support for passing a purpose to it. So not only could yes. it just be like a generic signed instance, but you could say, actually, I'm signing it for the purpose of say like authentication or like password reset. So you have a, yep. a user, the way you want to verify them is with this signed ID purpose is password reset. So if you try to look up the record, but without the specific purpose, when you say like, here's the ID and the purpose is password reset, it's be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Because like this would be really dangerous if you were mentioning Jason Charns in your rich text, you grab the SGID out and then put it in the reset password URL. If that wasn't a feature, then I could just take your global idea and reset your password for you. And that would be very, very bad. And then they also have the expiry or whatever the yep, key is, and, in. which is great. Those are the two main things. Hilariously, there's not a whole lot of difference between a JSON web token and assigned global ID. They're pretty much the same concept, just two different implementations. It's kind of funny when you look at it that way, but there's also like the regular non-signed ones that every JWT is signed, but they're very similar concepts. So if you know one, you'll understand the other one really easy. A wonderful, a wonderful abstraction. The Rails Foundation was a thing that was announced between last time y'all recorded and today. 
So yeah. I'm sure if you're listening, you've probably heard, but there's an announcement. There's several big name companies in the rail space, Procore, Shopify, 37 Signals, GitHub. Were they on the list? Cookpad, so. Doximity, Fleet.io, GitHub, Intercom, Procore, Shopify, and 37 Signals. Have put together a pool of money. I assume to be War chest. U.S. dollars. A milli. Uh, a mill, a milli, a million, a milli, milli, a milli, a million U.S. doll hairs to support what is the community. What is the difference? It's a nonprofit 501c6. Ooh. I always hear the C3. Yeah. I don't know what the difference between a, a C1, C2, C3, C4, C5, C6. They're just different kinds of Corvettes. Mm, I gotcha. A Zio. I, I want can, 501c06. You want the real answer. <laughs> A 501c3 organization must serve the public. A 501c6 organizations are formed to serve their members. Huh. That's a very interesting... way you can think about it is a 501c3 is like giving out food to people who are in need regardless of who it is. Right. And then like a what random organization, the Boy Scouts is like, they're, no, they're 501c3 definitely because they are going out and volunteering in the communities and stuff like that. As far as like another organization that's, hey, we're doing good in this one community, but it's not necessarily serving the whole world. A chamber of commerce is like a example of that. Andrew, I want you to handle all my business dealings moving forward. Really don't. Yeah, he's your new lawyer, your attorney. 501c6 (laughs) depends on its members' revenue to fund its operations. He just shows up and starts reading Wikipedia articles every time (laughs) there's a question. I'm just reading the description on Google. I'm not even clicking into the articles here. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Even more trustworthy. Oh, yeah. Well, if you read enough of them, right? <laughs> True. I'm excited for it. Like, I don't know what it's going to entail. Pretty much the announcement was like, we raised a million dollars. We need to hire a director. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, but I also don't know what it is. Because they said they want to have someone come in and make the docs much more friendly to beginners, which... Down. Yeah. Sure. I'm Professional sad. documentation writers are uh-huh. crazy good. And let's talk about like who has good docs. Laravel docs. React. React, Laravel. Someone just came in and redid their docs. It shows completely. It's so much better. Yeah. How long have the Rails guides been as is? Like for a long time. And they're siloed, but kind of by like technology. Yeah. That's hard as a beginner. You come in and it's like, do I need to look at action model or action controller? It's like a high level reference. Whereas like the Rails. API docs are the reference. The Rails guides feel and read like a conceptual reference. This is how to think about active record or action text or whatever. And then there's not the Rails tutorial that people need to jump in at. Let's go build something and explain why each of these technologies are part of Rails. That I think the overarching bootcamp style thing that Laravel came out with the bootcamp, which is really cool. It kind of explains a lot of here's the framework, why these things exist. Our Rails for Beginners course in GoRails, I did specifically to showcase a lot of those things. Let's go build a Rails app that interacts with an API, does OAuth, does background jobs. And then we got to see, here's why active job exists. Here's why action mailer exists and whatever else. And I imagine that the ideal 
kind of cascades and you like start with rails and you're like, okay, you understand the overarching, here's the purpose of rails. Here's all the things that it encompasses when you need to dig in deeper and wrap your head around active record and all the nuances there, go to that guy. Then once you need to really dig into like, what are all the options for belongs to you? Then you go to the API docs. Right. I'm excited if someone comes in and is like, let's rethink this from scratch and we can start from the high level and come on down. Yeah. I'm excited about it in so much as I'm excited about at least what they've talked about the mission is for it. But at the same time, like you said, it was kind of like, hey, we got a bunch of money and we formed a nonprofit. And so like now I'm like, okay. And yeah, so. that's how I felt about it too. But emailed and reached out, see what we can do to help and stuff. I think it's going to take shape once they find a director. And that I think was the main reason for this post. Ideally, if they had a director that they had already hired, it would have been like, let's go do stuff in private then announce it and release it and make that the announcement. But trying to find the director of this, hey, we've got funding. Let's see if we can find somebody who wants to take over this and lead it. So that's, I think, as far as they've gotten for the most part. I'm sure there's lots of ideas on things they can do behind the scenes. But to me, it sounds like the goal right now is find that director. But it's good stuff. I think it's been needed for a long time. I've got something to say. All right. I'm just going to say that this past week, I have seen some really dog shit opinions about this post from people in the community, not calling anyone out. It's Twitter. There's only so much place you can express yourself. I get it. But I saw some really dumb takes to the point where like other people in the community started sending them to me and they're like, hey, have you seen how dumb this take is? All right. So that's where I'm coming at this. From my perspective, what I got from this article is the Rails core team and the people who are behind Rails are like, hey, you know that thing people in the community have been beating on for a while? Of, hey, if we don't bring more juniors in, if we don't make this more junior friendly, if we don't have more events, and if we don't market this thing better, Rails will eventually disappear. And to me, what it sounds like, the tone in this article is very businessy and not really saying anything like it was drafted. But what I got from it is like, hey, we want to improve the documentation. We want to improve the education, the marketing. To me, that says they're finally realizing like, hey, we need to do a better job of bringing in new junior developers into the Rails community if we want Rails and Ruby to continue to exist. And so that perspective may not pan out to be true. It may be completely wrong. But I feel pretty good about this because... I feel like we've been beating on this drum for a while and I feel like more and more people are realizing it and they're starting to do things. And now this is like just a massive push into that direction. And there have been some things that have happened in these past few years that not everyone is super thrilled about, right? So view Rails, you know, taking this money in from these people, they're not a nonprofit necessarily. They're surviving off of funds given by the members that make it up, like we talked about. So these companies are like, hey, we need Ruby to survive because we need to hire people. We need this to go back into boot camps. We need to be talking about evangelizing more. Like from that perspective, I think this is awesome. And the people whose opinions were extra dog shit, it's just bad faith argument at this point. It's like you always want to be the person to complain. So you're just going to keep complaining. It's crazy. I definitely saw a good bit of stuff like that on Twitter that was just not constructive. Yeah. Rails doesn't need to fail. They're pushing more people away. Yeah. I don't entirely get where that's coming from. 
It doesn't hurt for Rails to exist. It doesn't hurt for Rails to grow or anything. More stuff is always good. Competition's always good. And I still feel like the reason why I like to write Ruby and Rails is for the value of look what you can do as a single person or two people or whatever. And all these other languages are not prioritizing that or frameworks are not prioritizing that same thing. And that's what I'm here for. I love seeing that. That is our superpower. Like we got Rails, we got Hotwire. Like there will be more things that will make you even more productive as a single person. And let's keep going down that path. But other things can exist too. That's fine. You don't have to tear this one down. Whatever. If you like something else, just go do that. You don't have to complain about the other ones. Like it can exist. Telling all of us, we don't care. (laughs) I want to be able to tell my friend who is like, hey, this career path I've chosen is not working out and I'm upset and I'm depressed and I need to make a change. And I think I might be good at development. What language should I learn? I want to say Ruby because I want him to experience the joy of this community, this joy of this language, the joy of this productivity that I feel, but I'm scared. Okay. But this announcement gives me some hope that maybe if they hire a really excellent director, which I feel like they have the capability to, that person could completely change the direction and like the enthusiasm behind Rails. And it won't be like this dunking thing. And we won't have to worry about suggesting it to junior people. And that would just be that thing that once again, yeah, like of course learn Rails because you can build a company with it by yourself. You remember that time I dunked on you in Vegas? I actually do. And I just want people to know this was a physical dunk, not a metaphorical one. Posterize you? Posterize, yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. I have nightmares about it. I'm not going to rehash it all, but I, I agree wholeheartedly that Rails needs something, some kind of boost, some kind of energy for people who are just getting started. Because I saw a comment today where it's like, wait, Rails still exists. You're probably being facetious. You're probably not the only person who like says that. So we could use and some of that because there's tons DHS of us. is not that person either, like anymore. I think it. Yeah. So we I need think to find equally someone. we need this, not just for juniors, but for anybody in yeah, the community, for, you know? For like, us to stay engaged. Yeah. yeah for like us to keep all, getting these listeners, baby. Yeah. For our podcast. What else do we need? <laughs> yeah. What if the Rails Foundation solely exists to shut down remote Ruby? Well, I thought you were going the other way with that. And I instantly was picturing us on on a beach with margaritas. And it was a great thought until you ruined it. (laughs) On the beach with margaritas and our microphones. They got to buy us out, man. They got together a million dollars so we would stop putting this trash content to the world. Hey, if it costs them a million dollars, I feel good about that. (laughs) <laughs> dude, think about all the cardboard side tables you'd be able to get with that. So many, dude. So many. I actually have a real one, by the way. I just want to say that I'm on an improvement plane <laughs> for now um, until I get back on Twitter and release these thoughts I have. I can't wait. Mm. Yeah, I just keep thinking about what you're saying. It's definitely helpful for juniors, but like we also need startups and mid-level developers and seniors to know that this community is still getting tons of it. investments, improvements. There's been changing of the guard. Lots of people have come and gone and new people and whatever are always joining. But there is a continual shift of that. And this is hopefully going to be some PR for like Rails is back. Encourage people to like 
build new stuff, experiment with new things, get excited about this again. Hotwire for a while was like everybody talking about, whoa, look what you can do with this very light JavaScript approach. And that's super cool. And then you saw people in Laravel and Python and other frameworks grabbing the Hotwire and making it compatible with Laravel. And it's like, this is cool. So we just need a continuous thing, a continuous push. Coca-Cola has to always be pushing out ads just to remind you that Coca-Cola still tastes good and like you'll still enjoy this. Don't forget about it. Rails needs some of that. Ruby needs some of that. It just needs more of that over time. Goes in very sporadic waves right now and it's not consistent. At the end there, you basically said what I was going to say and it's that there's a lot of talk Oh, Rails is great again. There's a Rails renaissance. We're building really cool stuff with Hotwire. There's no action. We need more conferences. We need more action from people going out and making the docs better, building more content, finding more juniors, instilling this more into the culture. We need actual action, not people who are just going to write blog posts and tweet about how cool Rails is. We need actual boots on the ground. My gosh, just went straight after my Rails ass talk. I had someone else in mind when I said that, but... (laughs) We need people to do the work. And in order for people to work, we have to pay them. So I see this as a net positive overall, personally. I may be wrong. We'll see. But that's what I think right now. You've never been wrong. (laughs) Well, the only other thing, and we'll cover it today, but finally, finally back in a low gear and working on the active record course. I'm going to try and this week put out a blog post that's one of the lessons I'm going to record and try and put some of those out and try and actually not just keep telling you about it, but actually trying to help you with active record. That's my Do you goal. want an accountability buddy? Accountability buddy? I will accountability buddy you. I need an accountability buddy for some things too. I will accountability buddy you this. We'll talk. We'll, we'll talk. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll talk Yikes. to you. That's the thing. Yikes. Yeah. All right. Jason, welcome back. Missed you. Missed you all. Missed. Yeah. It was sad watching two episodes go out. And not listening to either of them either. That's crazy. That's not true. You made me listen to the first two minutes. Uh, I literally said, didn't actually think you were going to listen to it. So I literally, I implore you. No, I demand you listen to this 30 second audio clip. But he did it. He still loves it. He's done it. After all this time, he's been gone for so long. I missed you. I even got back to work and we didn't even talk for like a week. I know. It was a weird week. We're back now, dude. Love you, bye. Build done soon. Bye.